Today, you're in for a treat as we're talking to David Mead, speaker and consultant for Propel Inc. I met David several years ago as he facilitated a workshop for one of our largest customers, helping them name and refine their why statement as an organization. At the time, David was part of Simon Sinek's team working as one of Simon's first igniters, helping individuals and companies work through Simon's simple, inspiring model for finding a why. David even worked with Simon Sinek and Peter Docker on a book called Find Your Why. It sold over 300,000 copies and has been translated into 25 different languages, and David himself has delivered the concept to over 225 companies on five continents. As I've gotten to know David, I've learned that he is really passionate about helping organizations build a world where employees find lasting fulfillment and meaning in the work that they do. And today, he's doing that through his own organization, Propel Inc., and continuing to partner with Peter Docker's organization, Why Not Partnering? Join me as he takes us on a journey of leadership principles and how we can apply them to our marketing world. Here he is, David Mead. I thought you could start by just sharing a little bit about sort of your past 10 years working as an igniter and then how that maybe is transitioning to kind of some of your role today. Sure. So it was a really, really interesting experience. And I just like anything at the beginning, I was still learning about all of this stuff and what it meant and how it you know sort of played out in, in business and leadership and that kind of thing. And then the opportunity to just go in and share some of these simple ideas. And the thing that was so always so fascinating to me is that there were always these aha moments that people had around things that we already know. This is stuff that we just naturally, this is nat- naturally how we operate when we're at our best. For some reason, those th- those things sort of seem to get decoupled at work for some reason. Right. And so we look at work as something we have to do. And then on Friday or the weekends or, you know, in the evenings, we do stuff that we want to do and we we do the things that really fill us up. And I thought, well, that's silly. Why shouldn't we be able to do that at work? And so it was just really interesting to share some of these ideas and to sort of see that spark in these audiences and in leaders to think, wow, this is, this is something we can actually do at work as well. Right. Well, you said um, on a podcast I was listening to you a couple days ago that what's hard about articulating what we love is that we don't have language to describe the emotion, right? And so mm-hmm. I think what I saw you do in front of this group that I was fascinated by is just the digging for the words. You seem to become really skilled at that. Well, it's a practice. I may be a couple a couple of feet down the path farther than some other people, but yeah, I mean, really the the emotion is that what we have a difficult time expressing in words. And so the only way we can get to that is to just keep digging and keep fumbling over words that we don't have until we somehow come up with a word that, you know, seems to express the feeling that we have. And it's just, it's, it's hard. It's just a, it's a process. Right. Well, tell me a little bit about sort of how you have leveraged your past 10 years working as an igniter into some of your new relationships. Um, I know you wrote a book with Peter Docker. Now you have a new relationship with Peter's organization, Why Not Unlimited, as well as Mm -hmm. running your own business called Propel. Tell us about that. It's kind of interesting having done this for the last 10 years. It's less about, to me, it's less about who I'm doing it with and the fact that we're just sort of all doing this together, right? So Peter has his own consulting company called Why Not Partnering, and their focus is really on transforming the nature of work so that people can thrive. That's great. Well, and I know you guys are ideating potentially sort of a new platform and you, and you have some leadership philosophies that you've sort of rallied around. So kind of mm-hmm. walk us through that model a little bit and sort of what inspired you to go there. Sure. So these are things that I've been familiar with 
ever since I've known Peter. And Peter has sort of, you know, weaved this into his philosophy as well. But he's sort of curated these things into, again, some simple ideas of how, how do we become better leaders? How do we do it in a way that allows people to get something more out of work than just a paycheck? So they build on one another. You don't have to use them all at the same time. You don't have to use them in sequence. They're just, it's, they're tools that we can draw from when we're in particular situations or when we find ourselves in, in certain challenges or in certain predicaments, we can draw on these things to help us lead through these in a way that we can look back and be proud of the way that we led. Absolutely. So talk to me, let's talk about the first one. You said the first one is called understanding who you are at your core. And that one probably couldn't be a a better example of one that sort of matters on so many levels, right? Well, you know, I mean, you look at it from a marketing standpoint, too, you can do great marketing, you can have, you know, catchy taglines, and you can have even evocative or, or emotional, you know, advertising that gets people to like, you know, shed a tear. But if that's not really who you are, that's not really what you stand for. And that's not really the experience they're going to have when they engage with you as an organization. It's just window dressing, and they're going to see through it. And eventually, it's not going to do you any good, right? Yeah. So this idea of really understanding who we are at our core starts with the individual and understanding what are our unshakable values. Mm-hmm. What do we care about even when somebody opposes us about it? What type of things are we teaching our kids about being a good human? So that's at the individual level. Okay. It also translates to an organization too. Every organization has or should have a set of real unshakable values that they behave by, that they market by, that they communicate internally by, all of these things. A lot of organizations have values that are just like, oh, that sounds nice. Or, you know, we probably should have one that says integrity. But if that's all it is, if it's just something that is, you know, a nice to have or, you know, well, other organizations have one, so we better have some too. And they don't really affect or drive or influence your behaviors. Absolutely. You're you're not going to have a great culture. Yeah. If they're not words that people can live by and rally around, you know, we've gone to the place at Samantha where it's, we live for the challenge, we're better together, and we have heart. And they're sentences, Mm -hmm. they're not words, you know, because Mm -hmm. we can actually see those come to life in our organization. Mm -hmm. So tell me a bit more about how you've seen organizations sort of get to those words, but then also execute on them and make them part of their culture. Well, I think one of the most important things uh, about those values is that they are actionable. Because if we expect you to behave based on the values that you say you have, then we got to know what those actions look like those values have to be actions because if you can't do them, then they're just words, right? So one of the things that we've seen a lot of organizations do really well is first of all, you know, articulate those values in a way that doesn't sound like corporate language, like find something that really, and again, this takes time because the words are sometimes difficult to find, but create a sentence or create something bigger around the word so that you can really express what that means to us as a culture. Definitely. Then underneath each one of those, you can choose to, if you choose to, sort of bullet out some sub behaviors that like, that's what this looks like in action. Like in our context, in our culture, the way we do things, this value that we have now put into a sentence that makes sense to us, that looks like this, this, and this. That way, when you hire that new person, they come in and you, you list out your values. You can say, and what that looks like is we do this, we do this, and we do this. Oh, okay. Now I have an idea of what I can do and how I can show up to live that value myself. I heard you say the other day, pretty much everybody's purpose is at some level to give to other people or to help people. (laughs) And so what do you say to the folks that's like, well, 
how is my purpose not watered down or, or the organizations that are living for their customers, but they don't have the words to explain that? How do you mm-hmm. translate that to be very specific to who they are as an organization and then how that comes to life in sort of their marketing communications? I guess what I would say is you don't have to have the language perfect in order to start doing it. Got right? it. And when you start doing it, people will feel, you will occur to people, you will come across to people as though you actually really believe in what you stand for rather than just talking about it. There's a difference. We can tell when somebody's trying to sell us something versus when we can tell that somebody truly cares about us and really has our best interest in mind. So start behaving in that way. And then once you get people feeling like that at work, you may find that it's a little easier for them to come up with a language because it doesn't feel made up. Now it feels like you know, it feels actually authentic. It actually feels like what they would say because of how they feel with the job that they're doing. And then you can translate that into your marketing, into your messaging. Absolutely. All right. So let's transition into the second principle. So um, I think you called it a different way of standing and looking at the problem. What does that mean? So there's there are a couple different ways that we talk about this particular principle. One is it's called right to left thinking is one way that we talk about it. The other way that you can kind of think about it in a little more visual sense is stand at the top of the mountain. The concept behind it is, you know, when we're faced with a challenge or a problem or a decision, we can look at it from a couple of different perspectives, right? We can stand at the bottom of the mountain and look at the top of the mountain and say, wow, that looks really hard. That looks really high. It's going to take us forever to get there. But like, let's give it our best shot and see how far we get. Right. Or you can stand on top of the mountain in your mind and say, we're already there. We made it. These are the challenges that we that, that we overcame along the way. This is, you know, what's happening. This is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. Look at this amazing view that we have up here, right? You can take that in two different ways. So this idea of stand at the top of the mountain or taking a different perspective when we look at a challenge or a problem or a decision is rather than looking at it from the present and looking into the future, we actually stand in the future and describe what has already happened. Sure. Now, when that future that we describe, that that future that we imagine is in line with our unshakable values and that purpose that we are pursuing because we have those values, people are going to be so much more inspired to get to that place. Even though we're not there today, we know what that looks like and we know that it's in line with the bigger picture in line with our values, in line with what we stand for, what we believe in. And so we're inspired to get there and we will move any mountain that we need to get to, to get to that future. Absolutely. And like I said to you in our, in a previous conversation, this concept is near and dear to my heart because I'm a strategist. I'm a planner. I love to be able to Uh say, how do we get from here to there? But more recently, I'm recognizing that focusing so much on the how we're going to get from here to there without articulating the what meaning where we want to go in that vision. And that's why, you know, I'm always fascinated by my creative counterparts because they're so good at articulating what that looks and feels like. Talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about the importance of being really clear on that and sort of some of the pitfalls that can happen if you're not. Sure. So, you know, the the one key that's really important about this is you don't want to look so far or, or project so far into the future that you can't actually imagine what that looks like. So we're not making a 10 or 20 or 50 year plan this is like six months or a year, maybe into the future, you know, maybe a couple or three, depending on what we're talking about. So, you know, I'll give you an example, which is um, JFK, right? When he said, he announced it to the world, by the way, he didn't just say it, you know, in his office to, you know, his cabinet, he said to the world, before the end of the decade, we will land a man on the moon and bring him home safely again. 
had no right. clue how he was going to do it, right? <laughs> had never done it before. Yeah. Had no experience of ever doing anything like this, could not do it himself, but was so inspired by this idea of, you know, the space program that he declared it, committed to it, and then sort of got out of the way and let all of the geniuses who were going to make that happen make it happen, right? And so we he we have to be clear on what the objective is. We have to cl- be clear on where it is that we are, what it is that we're shooting for. Be clear and honest about the challenges that exist, but remind people the reason that we're going to do it. And I can't remember the exact words that he used. That he said, you know, we're, we don't do this because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. Sure. There was this idea of, we're, you know, we're doing it for the good of mankind. And like he had this very, if you read the whole speech, you can kind of get the the purpose behind it. But he really inspired people to go for something bigger than just landing a man on the moon. That was one step, sure. but that was kind of the first step that he inspired people toward. And he declared it, committed to it, and then got out of the way and let people get to work. I love that example because it's so clear. It's so succinct. He said, this is where we're going. He named it, right? But then uh-huh. you said he got out of the way. And talk to me about how that translations into, I think, the third principle, which is adaptive leadership. Yes, this one is so important. So important, in fact, that, I mean, Peter and I are working on a new book together. The working title of the book is Leading from the Jump Seat. Got it. How to Propel Your Team Forward by Taking a Step Back. I love so that. So the idea is rather than always you know, being right in the middle of it and always taking charge and always being the one to make the decisions and have all the answers and all that stuff, we sort of take a step back and empower other people, get out of their way, to your point, and let them get on with what they know how to do. Right. And so this idea of adaptive leadership, this is a, a concept that comes from a guy by the name of Ronald Heifetz. Okay. Uh, he was a Harvard scholar on leadership. And Ronald Heifetz, the, the, the concept of adaptive leadership is pretty complex, but the very simple idea is there are two types of challenges that we run across. One is called a technical problem and the other is an adaptive challenge. A technical problem is one where we know what the problem is. We can clearly see it. We know what it takes to fix that problem and to get it done, we just, you know, do it ourselves or we delegate. So for example, getting a flat tire on your car, right? It's happened to all of us, or we've seen everybody, you know, somebody with a flat tire on their car. That's a technical challenge. We know what the problem is. We know what it takes to fix it. And we either, you know, take it to the tire shop and get it fixed, call AAA, do it ourselves, whatever it is, but we can solve that technical problem. Right. The adaptive challenge is a little bit different in that it is something that is more difficult to identify We sometimes don't even know what the problem is. We just know something's wrong. Right. We don't have the answer because we've never run across this before. So we don't know what to do. And we can't delegate. We can't tell people what to do because we just don't have the answer. Right. So this idea of adaptive leadership is about taking a step back, framing the problem as best we can and saying, hey, here's a situation. Here's what's going on. Here's what we understand. Here's what we don't understand. Then rather than saying, okay, leave it with me, I'll figure it out because I'm the leader and I'm the guy that knows everything because I am in this position, we say, I'm not exactly sure what to do. What ideas do you have? How can we come together and fix this adaptive challenge? Because an adaptive challenge has technical elements, but the key to it is that a lot of times it deals with emotion and personality and the messy human stuff that you just can't slap a technical fix on. Absolutely. You know, I was just in a conversation with one of my business partners this morning about sort of framing up problems, right? And problems aren't mm. always things that need fixed. Sometimes they're gaps in, or opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how hard do you push the leaders and organizations you work with to sort of come to the table with, you know, those standing on the mountain view? Like, here's how I see it. You know, here's something to react to rather than completely blue sky. 
And and where's the line in that to also be an adaptive leader that lets everybody else's voice be heard? Yeah. So I think one of the things as well to be aware of is that in so many organizations, people sort of default to the leader, right? It's like, oh, I have my ideas, but I'll wait until they say what they're going to say. And then if my idea fits in, then I'll pitch in and then it'll look really good. Right. And if it's completely different than what they were going to come up with, like I just, I'll keep it to myself. Absolutely. So one of the things that I think is really important for leaders to do is to listen. Yes. Be the last to speak, get the ideas from everybody else first. Yes. Make it a habit that, you you know, when you go around the table and, and share ideas, everyone shares their ideas before you do. Then if you had came in with a preconceived notion or an idea or some thoughts, what, how can how can you tie that into what has already been said and strengthen the 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 ideas of the people that have already been that have already been shared? I love so how that. do you build upon those? Absolutely. And I think in a fast paced business like ours, sometimes we sort of skip that step. But I think keeping mm-hmm. that, you know, f- at the forefront is really important. I think you and I even mentioned a couple weeks ago that, gosh, a time like now when none of us know the future Uh of our business sitting in the Uh middle of this, you know, stay at home order is probably one of the sort of epitomes of time when it's important to listen because, you know, we can't just fall in love with the ideas that are in our brain. We need to ask all the right questions and listen to everyone else's ideas. Absolutely right. Yeah. This is a perfect time for us to, because, you know, this is something that none of us have ever been through that I know of. Right. But is adaptive leadership different than situational leadership? And by that, I mean, sometimes you are in situations to be directive, right? And to sell a story because the situation requires it. Or does it take all of that into account? Sure. So, I mean, adaptive leadership, don't, uh, we got to make sure we interpret the word adaptive correctly. Adaptive doesn't mean that you adapt your leadership style. Of course, there are different leadership styles. Adaptive leadership is a specific practice of, or the specific idea of how do we lead when we don't have the answer. So it's not necessarily about adapting to different situations. Of course, we'll do that. But it's remembering that, you know, remembering our own egos, remembering humility and saying, if I don't have the answer, that's okay. It's actually a good thing that I don't have the answer because now look at all of these different possibilities that we're, we can be opened up to because we don't know exactly the way forward. Got it. That makes good sense. That is the situation then, you know, when you don't know. Mm-hmm. How does that translate then into the fourth principle of being and doing? What does that mean? This is probably my favorite one, and it's so simple, but it's something that I don't think we often take time to think about. So it's a simple distinction between what we do and how we show up or who we're being when we're doing that thing. So, you know, anybody who is in a leadership position or who has been doing their job for a long time, has a lot of experience, is good at what they do. And that's often what's recognized. It's often what's rewarded. And, you know, we get promoted because of how we do, 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 right? Right. What we so often forget is who we're being when we're doing those things, which means how do we show up? Even though we're doing the exact same thing, what's the type of environment that we create? What part of us are we bringing to that? Definitely. So how do you work with individual leaders to still leverage their strengths and be proud of their strengths? Because that's what the organization needs them to be and do, but at the same time, learn to adapt to their surroundings? You know, as with anybody, our greatest strength can also be our biggest weakness. Sure. So if your biggest strength is to be a pusher and to get things done and move things across the line, that can also be a weakness if you're doing that by, you know, making your people feel in a way that they don't want to be around you, right? Right, (laughs) which happens sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. The idea is that when you are 
acting to your strengths. Always thinking about how you can do that and make people feel that you care about them and that you want their best. Right. That makes good sense. All right. So then how does that translate to the fifth one, which is building relationships? So there's an interesting slight modification that I'm going to make to that, which is not building relationships with an S. It's building relationship with ending on the P, which includes the interpersonal relationships that we have. But the whole point of this idea is the way way that we talk about it is that relationship is the foundation of accomplishment. So if you imagine just sort of a a foundation, a little rectangular block, that's relationship. And everything that we build on top of that, imagine now a triangle that sits on top of that rectangular foundation. Yes. Everything is built on top of that relationship. The interesting thing about building relationship, whether it be with our team, with family, with, you know, humanity at large, but extending that relationship to the relationship we have with our own core values, the relationship we have with the challenges that we face, with the, that future that we declare, that future that we want for ourselves, the more we understand, the more we build relationship with that, the more we learn, the more we sort of take all of that stuff in the more we can accomplish. So take that that rectangular foundation and add an inch onto the end of that. Then if you extend that into the triangle above, right? It makes this it exponentially increases the size of that triangle and we can accomplish so much more when we simply build a little more relationship with each other, with our purpose, with our challenges, with the adaptive the adaptive challenges that we have for example. Right. Albert Einstein had a quote. He says, give me an hour to solve the problem and I'll spend the first 55 minutes understanding the problem. Sure. So rather than when we're faced with something, rather than jumping right in and saying, okay, I know everything about it and let's just get in and do what we need to get done. Right. Build relationship with that problem, right? When you're having an issue with uh, a member of your staff or something and you think, oh, their performance is down. So I guess we'll just go in and, you know, put them on a performance plan and hopefully that'll come up. Go in there and understand and say, hey, what's going on? It's been three quarters and your performance is down, like, is everything okay? Absolutely. And I think curiosity comes in. I think you used that word earlier, right? So like the more Mm. questions you can ask about a problem, typically you get deeper to the heart of it. And I think that's true for a lot of marketers that we work with too, is we we jump to goals and achievements and action and activation. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we're not even solving the right problem or we haven't spent enough time articulating it. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. One more question on that, and I I, am curious, because I think sometimes those of us who love to sort of like build relationship with self or really Mm -hmm. think about those interpersonal interactions, I know my husband teases me all the time and says, gosh, how do you spend so much time thinking about who you want to be when you grow up? Or, you know, (laughs) um, when I think about a difficult maybe, you know, client or employee conversation that needs to happen, if we're Mm -hmm. sort of jumping to sort of the execution and not spending enough time on the who they are as people conversation. Again, maybe we're not solving for the right problem. So I think your mm-hmm. your concept of foundation is so core on so many levels. And do you think that people skip that step a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, we sort of take it for granted, you know, I mean, you, you, especially at work when we're so used to seeing all the people that we work with Sure. and, you know, you pass them in the hall, you say, Hey, how was your weekend? And you just keep walking yeah. or, you know, you're, you're, in a meeting or at lunch, you know, in the cafeteria or whatever, wherever you are, and everybody's just on their phones. Like we just take for granted that we have this amazing 
well of humanity around us that knows so much and we can learn so much from. One of the things that really, you know, back again with my time with Simon, sitting in rooms and, you know, even if it was just two, three hours working with people on their own individual why, they would come out of those meetings and say, I learned more about this person that I've worked with for 20 years sure. than I have in the last 20 years. Like right. there, there is nothing that replaces that type of relationship building. And it doesn't have to be about, you know, well, you know, what projects are you working on or, you know, what's, you know, what's next on your, on your to-do list at work. It's literally about getting to know the humans that we work with. Yes. I love that. that. We do. And if you just take the time to understand their stories, it allows you to give them such a break. I know we worked Mm -hmm. very hard on that at Samantha as a leadership team of really, you know, being honest with each other. And building that foundational trust, not the kind to your point of waving at each other as we pass Mm -hmm. by to go to our next meeting, but saying, here's what you do that really helps the work. And here's what you do that maybe hurts the work. And so now when we have those hard conversations, we can move through them so much more quickly because we understand it's coming from a good place. There's a great little tool that another company that I have a great relationship with called Chapman & Co. They're connected with the Barry Waymiller organization that is an amazing story all on its own. To, to your point of what you're talking about there, of having those hard conversations, they have a cool little tool they use called FBI, which okay. is feelings, behavior, and impact. impact. So, yeah, I know that model. Yeah. When you give somebody a piece of feedback, you tell them what the behavior was, how it made you feel, and the impact that that has on you or on the team, right? And when you can tie that impact to the purpose that you're going to, the vision that you're all working toward, then it it couches it in a context that, oh, okay, I get it. It's not just because you have a problem with me. It's because remember, we're here together working on that thing that we both believe in. Yes. That changes the conversation. And that model FBI, once you practice it, it feels less sort of rote and then just becomes part of your day-to-day way of behaving. So I love that. I'm going to jump to a question I've had for you for some time. Um, So often, even, you know, things that you post on social media or conversations that you have, you talk about this concept of sort of the daily pursuit of pure, basic human leadership. I've even mm-hmm. seen you talk about it being okay to give somebody a hug in the workplace, you know, because we're all <laughs> humans. These kinds of ideas, why do you hold those so true? And how does that come to life in your work? The reason that's so important for me is because it's just part of who I am. I, I do my best. And again, I'm not perfect, but I have a very strong set of unshakable values myself. And over the last several years, I've been able to really understand the power of that. When you have a leader who cannot come from that place or who doesn't come from that place and they come from a place of their position or their title or, you know, I'm your boss and, you know, you have to do what I say, that kind of stuff. It, there is zero connection. There is no trust. There is no sense of value or appreciation. And I think a lot of people in the workplace feel that. And I hate that. So if we can show up and really be human, everyday leaders, recognizing our mistakes, admitting that we don't know everything, right? right? Asking for help when we need it. Right. I want to spend just a few minutes backing up and talking about Propel. I think that's an interesting name for your company. And I want you mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about why that word sort of resonates with you um, and sort of, sort of how it meets your why of helping people do and be better. How do you articulate that? And why did Propel come to sure. you as your business's name? Well, it took me about eight years to land on that word, you know, to sure. our point of it's really difficult to articulate and put to words the feelings that we have. 
it's always been there. But, you know, again, just to, to make a, a long story short, the thing that makes me who I am are the experiences that I've had, the things that have influenced me, you know, in positive ways and the things that I think I, the thing I think I need the most. Therefore, the thing that I hope I can give the most is to propel people forward, right? To help them take that little step to be a little bit better than they were the day before. Like that's what fires me up. If I can do that through, you know, a talk or a workshop or a podcast or something that I write or whatever, anything that I can do to help make, help people make those little steps forward. That's where propel comes from. And it ties into my own why, which is to propel us forward so we can do better and be better. Yes. I love that. That's just, that's, I I love it too. And it took (laughs) me forever to come up with those words, but that's what kind of drives my daily actions and behaviors when I'm at my best, right? Because I'm not perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. The, the idea of being practical through workshops and training and some of the exercises, that's sort of how you bring your purpose to life for people. So maybe talk a little bit about that part of your job and your world and, and how you take what's in many levels very conceptual and emotional down to a practical business sense. Sure. So, I mean, I'm working on a new talk now around this concept of everyday leadership you know, leadership that is human, that's imperfect, where we embrace what makes us imperfect in order to create a perfect environment for those, you know, people that we work with to thrive. And so I think one of the things that's really important um, with whether it's, you know, anything I talk about or anybody else, any other habit that we want to change or anything that we want to do better, rather than trying to, you know, move the brick wall all at once, move it a brick at a time. Absolutely. What's one thing that's not going to disrupt my my current schedule that I can just set myself a little to do reminder or a little sticky note on my computer. That's going to take me less than a minute that I can start practice these things and slowly, slowly, slowly over time, make the change that I want to make. That's so true. I'm working on a training right now for our staff. And we find that if, if people don't have a chance to practice what they're learning, then it just falls by the wayside. So trying to build those in regularly makes good sense. All right, David, we're going to pivot now and I'm going to ask you a little bit about your marketing communications ideas and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Oh, that'll be short. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said you're not super comfortable in that space. But I got to go there. Yep. All right. So I, I know I've referenced this many times throughout our conversation, but it seems to me that so many of the concepts we talked about today really stem back to some of the biggest strategic marketing and branding issues organizations face. So everything from knowing your core to standing on the mountain to building relationships. I mean, so many of the organizations we work with, that's what they're trying to figure out is what their mm-hmm. brand is, who they stand for and how they project that in the universe. I know you said you don't work a ton with organizations on their marketing execution, but talk to me a little bit about after you do these exercises and people are really excited about this language and this purpose and, uh, you know, how they want to lead. Talk to me about the inconsistency that can happen if people don't commit to it over time. I know you're a big organizational development health guy. Um, mm-hmm. and you let these things fall by the wayside. Talk about the impact of that on the staff because people are so excited about it, but then you let it fall by the wayside. So sort of the execution Uh piece. Sure. So the experience that I've had with speaking and doing workshops and stuff, I mean, I'm not the first person that the company has brought in to do stuff like this. Sure. Right. I'm this year's guy, you know, (laughs) flavor of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not careful, that's exactly what it turns into. And you, you know, you leave and everybody's fired up for, you know, three days and then 
things just sort of go back to normal. Leaders sort of forget that they're supposed to be doing things a little bit differently or trying anything. And, you know, it's, it's not no fault of their own. They want to do it, but all the pressures come back. There's all the emails, there's all the deadlines, there's all that stuff. And it's just hard to keep doing it. And so when things go back to normal, then this is when you get the eye rolls. You know, when you talk about, you know, you come into an organization, you talk about core values and people go, oh, yeah. Yes, right. You know, <laughs> right. It's That's on the wall, awesome. but it's not really, yeah. yeah, it's not really what we do here. So the problem is when you don't do that internally first, and when you're not living that and people don't feel the consistency between what you say and what you do, right. that translates out to the customers and clients as well. When people don't feel appreciated, when people don't feel valued, when people don't feel like they're really you know, like the company is living in line with what it talks about, then they're going to treat the customer differently as well. They're not going to be, they're going to do the same job, but they're not going to be as good as they could be because there's an inconsistency. There's something that just doesn't feel right at work. So, you know, the, the, the impact of that obviously is huge where, you know, customer loyalty declines, employee loyalty declines, people become harder to work with because again, there's just this, there's this, dissonance between what is happening and what we feel should be happening absolutely based on what we what we're telling people right Um, marketing is the same way when you put a message out there that sounds nice and feels good and you know paints a nice picture but then people call in and they don't get that experience or they interact with you and they don't get that same experience if there's inconsistency and it just doesn't feel right and it's like yeah i can't really put it into words but i just i don't know that company bothers me absolutely and so they'll go somewhere else yeah I've been with Seminole 16 years, and we've never delivered a brand presentation that didn't include the employee experience first, right? Because your Mm -hmm. employees are your advocates. They are the ones that send the message, to your point. But I also find, to your point, that it's very easy to get back into the day-to-day delivering for the customer and forget Uh about how that employee experience continues to evolve. You're absolutely right. Well, we're coming up on time, and I'd love to hear a little bit more. We've talked about a lot of these already today, David, but um, share with me a little bit about some of your core beliefs um, and maybe how you've come to those through your own sort of successes and failures through the years. Sure. So uh, I have a few. One is to stand for what I believe in. And again, I recognize, and I'm not, not that I'm trying to push my beliefs on anybody else, but to be confident in and stand for what I stand for and to stand for something, not to stand against something, yes. right? Because when you stand for something, that's yours. When you stand against something, you're trying to get rid of something else, which is not what I'm trying to do, right? Right. A couple of others are, I really try to meet people where they are. One of the things that I think is so important is to just get on the same level or on the same page with the people that I'm dealing with, interacting with, whether that be my kids, whether that be, you know, people at work, uh, my audiences, whatever it is, that's that's huge to me. One of the things I really, really believe in is to show up to improve, yeah. show up to get better. No matter how much you know, there's always something that we can learn from everybody. Right. I'm not perfect at any of these things, but when I'm at my best, I'm showing up with a curious mind, willing to learn something new, to pick something up, because that helps to propel me so that I can help to propel others. I love that. And I love how your first core truth of this idea of like sort of being unapologetically who you are and and uh-huh. sort of growing into that, there's some maturity there, but also knowing that there's other people, right? Meeting people uh-huh. where they are and sort of knowing your audience. I think that's really great. Yeah. 
one of the things I wanted to pass along to you that we often do on this podcast is I, I ask people to share a question they have for other marketers. And I thought this one might be interesting for you. For you. Mm-hmm. When I was talking to my coach a few weeks back, we talked about this concept of selling from a clean place. And she said what that means to her is that in every interaction, it's not about what she's going to get out of it. It's about mm-hmm. how she's going to help transform her customer. I thought that was mm-hmm. such neat language. And so it seems to me like that's how you show up too. You've often said like in every time I walk in front of a room, I'm there to help them and to offer them, you know, mm-hmm. my learnings through the years. So talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what that's looked like for you, this idea of transforming your customers and potentially even what, how you do that before you ever have an engagement with them. Yeah. I mean, this is another one. It kind of goes along with the idea of, of show up to improve or, you know, but the idea is every time, and it, it's more, it's most specific when I'm about to get on stage, I always remind myself, and this is something that I got from Simon Sinek years ago, is show up to give, right? Sure. It doesn't, like, I, I kind of pride myself on having no clue. I mean, I know if I go back and, like, in my records and my contracts and I look, but I, I when I step on stage, I have, literally, I can't remember what I'm making for that gig, and I don't care, right? Yeah. It's important, of course, like I, of course, I want to, you know, make money. Of course, I want to have a lifestyle. Of course, I want to, you know, advance in my career. But in that moment, none of that matters. Right. So I think, and whether that be, you know, on the stage or even to your point before I even meet with a client, just reminding myself and grounding myself in the fact that the purpose for which my work exists is not to make more money. The purpose is to help transform the nature of work so that people thrive. Right. And when I show up in that way, again, it goes back to the being and doing. I will have that pre-engagement call. I'll have the doing piece exactly like I would normally have it. But who I'm being, how I show up to that call, the environment that I create, the effort that I put into it, the the willingness I am to help to, you know, shape the, the, the event or to flex and bend and depending on what they need. If I'm coming from a place of like, how much am I getting paid for this again? Right. Oh, you know what? That doesn't really fit into that budget versus I'm going to make this as meaningful and as impactful as I can for you. And great. If that would normally cost an extra thousand bucks, who cares? Right. 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 So it's just getting to a place where you have to become comfortable with that. Absolutely. Again, I think that marketers can resonate with this because so often we're selling to our peers or our leaders or our customers. And sometimes when things go wrong, um, because we believe in continuous improvement, we have a tendency to beat ourselves up. And so I've really gotten into this practice of just asking myself what went well, you know, and Mm -hmm. just reminding yourself that your incremental improvement is as important as learning and growing from some of those failures. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell me um, one question you might have for somebody else. What can I pass along to another interviewee? How do I interject a little bit more of me into my marketing? Sure. Rather than just like the daily inspirational quote, that's cool. But like, I want people to get to know me a little bit too, you know? I totally get that. I struggle with the same thing. I feel like people in our generation, were not sort of super comfortable, like letting everybody into our world, but at the same time, we know how important it is. So yeah, figuring like, out where the cares? line is. Maybe people do care, but I, I like, I want to do something meaningful, but also so people can get to know me a little bit. Yeah. Know? I'm going to ask somebody that question, David. So we'll Please see do. what comes back. <laughs> Well, I can't thank you enough for your time. So many sort of nuggets I'm going to take away and and sort of implement in my world. And I just hope that we can keep in touch. You've been an awesome contact for us and you're great at what you do. Thanks. All right. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. (laughs) 
Well, friends, while the topic of leadership can seem complex, I find that David brings a relatable and human approach to his work that helps people connect with the ideas and create positive change for themselves and those around them. In this interview, I loved his ideas about knowing your core purpose and standing on the mountain to envision your future. These two concepts alone are so much a part of the brand and development work we're all accountable to inside our organizations every day. If you resonated with David's points, I hope you'll give us a review or ping me personally on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep in mind, you can download all episodes of Marketing Sweat Season 2 at marketingsweats.com, and you can subscribe to our entire Season 2 on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Talk soon, marketers. Marketers.